Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week, Canon Press has had the absolute pleasure to have Remy Wilkins visiting town. So you can hear him today on Canon Calls as we talk about reading habits with fiction and nonfiction, short stories, and yes, of course, we covered poetry. You can also hear him on next week's Stories or Soul Food podcast. So if you haven't subscribed to that podcast, you really need to. It's some of my favorite content that's coming out of Canon Press. And additionally, in honor of Remy, he just came through and signed a ton of copies of Strays. So we want to get those to you. If you order from canonpress.com, you will get your copy of Strays by Remy Wilkins signed. Also, if you're a Canon app subscriber, you can find his audiobook for Strays on the Canon app, read by himself. So without further ado, meet Remy Wilkins. So welcome Remy Wilkins to the show. And we were just talking about on the Theopolis website, which you contribute to yes, quite often, there's a Remy Wilkins tag. I was going through this morning and I found there was a whole series that you guys did at the end of 2020 on poetry. And we were talking about, everyone knows that this is like, Jake's going to play the hits if he talks about poetry the whole time. <laughs> That's right. Um, as I try to guilt everyone into reading more of it. And we were, t- <laughs> we got brought up about Instagram poets and this, and, and I described it first by saying, is it the poetry that I find when you first walk into a bookstore, it's like right on the first table. And you're like, no, that's Instagram poetry. Instagram poetry, yeah. That's... Yeah. And I think probably the leading figure, I actually don't know if it's a girl or a boy. I think it is a, a woman. A woman. Yeah. All right. So Rupi Co- something with a K. Yeah. And I was about to ask you, we were, we were doing all this off, off, of, uh, off the record, but now it's on the record <laughs> and the Instagram poets know your number now. So what I was going to ask is, what is it, do you think, that that, we were just saying, it's, a, it's when you look, if you flip through those pages of like Milk and Honey. Yes. Um, so. One of those books, it's kind of like trite, motivational-ish. I mentioned that it, it tends to be hacky. What is it, do you think, that people like about that? I don't know. Does I it think, scratch an itch yeah, that we I have? I think digestible is a is a okay major part of it so it's the the tweeting of poetry that it's not too stressful it's not too straining on the mental okay. faculties that's a little bit of sweetness again milk and honey it's just that sugary pump of positivity yep that uh we like to coach ourselves into loving <laughs> ourselves and being true and all those bland sure platitudes <laughs> Yeah, I have always just wondered. I'm not I'm never sure what is there an itch that people have that it just is like this perfect scratch. I I've just never uh never quite understood it, but you're saying it could be that like too that it's it's the you can get to the bottom of the page very rapidly. Yeah, I which think, is helpful. Yeah. I mean, she started on Instagram from what I right. understand and that's okay. that was her medium. Yeah. Very well. One thing that I was hoping to talk to you about that you sent over as a few options was we'll we'll veer out of the poetry lane to everyone's okay. to everyone's uh 
relief. <laughs> and, I'll work it back in there. And uh, I was hoping we could talk about just reading fiction, mm. like the practice or the habit of. Yeah. I imagine there are a lot of parallels to poetry. You mentioned that there's a, there's an attraction to the Instagram poetry because it's digestible, it's easy, it's not very straining. There's no nothing you necessarily need to think hard about. And and really the poetry I imagine that you enjoy quite the opposite at times. Like there's times where I do have to think about that or whatever. And that makes Instagram poetry a little more desirable. Do you see sort of the what fiction, what you have to be doing to get all of what fiction is offering? Are there things that it's doing to you similarly? Is it how would you how would you compare it to nonfiction? The thing about fiction is that it's not a uh, focused on the content. Like nonfiction is purely conveying the points, whereas fiction is building a world, and that world requires time to. I mean, and again, that's the same with poetry. Poetry is a timed form of writing, where the only way to get at what a poem is doing is to pass through it and to exist in it. So if I just, if we read, so see, I already turned this back into poetry, <laughs> but it's poetry is shorter than novels. So it's easier sure. to, you know, if you just read, you know, Robert Frost stopping on a snowy evening and, and you were to ask, what's the point? What's the, just sum it up for me. Yeah. Well, it's more than just the, the content. Right. And, and again, some some part of that is just not going to be able to, it will, uh, a great part of poetry is not able to be summed up. And because otherwise, why write it, write the poem? Fiction is the same way where to read the cliff notes of, <laughs> of, a, of a story is not yeah. going to put you through it. You have to have right. to exist in that story and, and uh, to pass through it. You know, one of the things I, tend to say is, uh, you know, the only way to uh, be a 10-year-old is to live for 10 years. Right? You can't be a 10-year-old any other way. So to read Tom Sawyer, you can't get Tom Sawyer unless you go through Tom Sawyer. Even if I tell you, here's the main thing, this is the theme, right. you know, this is what the character, and, and, and again, assuming that I'm 100% correct, which sure. I don't know how we would ever determine that. Um, <laughs> I don't know that Twain could necessarily boil that down because once again he had to write a whole book to get at it I, you know you have to you have to go through the whole thing right yeah i i i imagine that there is a a large contingent of people that if they said like what is harry potter about and you're like well it's about the it's about a boy who dies and he kills the bad guy at the end right right you could just sum up everything like oh yeah. this is a boy meets girl boy loses girl boy gets girl yeah oh okay and if you were if you were answering the question what is the point you know you would think okay uh i don't have to read that now i guess or but there's a large amount of people i imagine that would hear that answer that would just sort of like cringe or you yeah, know their shoulders right. would go up and it would be like nails on a chalkboard. And they're like, no, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Points are for swords, not for <laughs> novels. That's, that's my thinking. That was really good. Is that a, uh, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I did like that. It made me laugh. I'm just making I mean, the that stuff could, up That will be I the go. quote pick. That'll be the quote pick. Hey, there, there. we go. Now, uh, I have like thought about, in terms of the spectrum of, of kinds of reading, mm -hmm. and maybe even on the fiction side of the spectrum, you know, there's there's the novels, which 
I, there's a there's a large audience for, and maybe it's um, I've I've thought about it in terms of liquor, I guess maybe, or a beer and liquor, and so you got a large audience for maybe the craft beer there. You know, most people will will participate, and then maybe short stories. It's a little bit harder. You know, it, it doesn't always. I feel like it probably makes the point you're making with an exclamation mark. You know, short stories. I can get to the end of a short story and wonder. I have no idea what Flannery wants me to think. Is yeah. that really it? And then, uh, you know, further down, you know, the the with the hundred proof whiskey down there is poetry. Mm, yeah. Just in terms of like the ease of which you can just put it back. Does that do you do you think that does that helpful to you? Well, I, yeah, in in the sense that poetry is distilled, and so it's it's a higher proof. I, yep. I, yeah, I, I definitely jive with that. I think I uh, I think it was Peter Lightheart that said poetry was concentrated excess. Yes, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, that's that's my guy. So I'm definitely on board with him. Okay, now with those three, have you seen like major shifts? Maybe we'll just stick with the novel first. So, like, have you seen? shifts and how those are written so i feel like we could have and i have had poetry conversations about what happened with poetry knowing it used to be like a national art everyone knew their national poet they knew the poems etc that's not a thing anymore have you seen anything comparable in the novel world i was reading uh was it last year a couple years ago uh, joseph bottom put out a book called the decline of the novel okay and he discusses the the rise of it the world that it came into and uh and then obviously toward the end was focusing on what it is that has caused the decline and and it's not just in terms of um sales though though that's to one degree we sell more books than anyone else but because of how many books we have there's just not a national uh or uh, um you know broad conversation on these things everything is so fast. So, um, really, in terms of novels, only a few novels capture our imagination enough to discuss them, and then only briefly outside of you know Harry Potter, yep. really big ones like that. But even other big selling, like Dan, was it Dan Brown? The, yes, uh, he um, Da Vinci Code. Yep. That was those were huge books. Uh, Nonfiction, though. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, things like, you know, Twilight, that, those don't generate conversations, even though they're, they're big. Um, but I, it does seem that Harry Potter has, has struck, a a, a, uh, imagination so that, that it continues to be a, a, uh, a source of, of analogies and references. And, yep. uh, but most books just, we don't capture the imagination and, and, uh, and so we just move on rapidly. Uh, and I believe bottom one of his points in this uh, in this book was uh, there's a temerity among the writers, so partially just decline of foundational truth was his was his uh, explanation, okay. um, which I don't know, seems uh, seems appropriate to, to highlight so? that. Fo- yeah, I, I'm I'm still working through the, those sort of questions myself. But you asked me a question, so I'm just. <laughs> trying to provide some answer here, uh, but yeah, I, I, it does seem as though uh, we are a much more uh, timid in terms of speaking of grand truths. We're not pre- depicting a uh, a world in which we feel um, 
competently um, in, in addressing and explaining. And uh, so we tend to hedge with mystery and all the rest. <laughs> okay. I've actually not, that's a, I've not considered the, uh, the hedging tendencies in, in, in that light, but that makes total sense. Well, there, there, again, I haven't looked at the numbers on this, but it does seem a ton of stuff is written from the first perspective. Uh, and a, a lot of the, the, uh, popular novels certainly are focused on some, you know, someone's, uh, perspective, which again, is just automatically hedging because they're yeah. not providing what other people are thinking or motivations. Uh, and even the self, we can, you know, we have uh, the, the unreliable narrator. Um, and even if it's not intent, the, the author himself is not intending to be unreliable. Just the simple fact that, you know, whatever the hero is, the, the, the barista, you know, walking down the street, telling you his story, uh, he's going to have uh, gaps in his knowledge and vision. Yeah. And, um, so just that technique seems to be right uh, that fitting into that that view yeah it seems like so the the ya genre which seems to be and seems to have grown big time is almost exclusively in the first person yeah which is to me i i don't enjoy the first person that much i feel like it really depends on a great great author yeah i mean if you're gonna hang out with this person the whole time if they're annoying, I mean, it's just a tough place. Right. They better be really good at it. Yeah. We don't have a lot of, it doesn't seem that there is a lot of strategy in using the, the, the narrator. My, so my older brother doesn't read first person fiction. He just can't, um, can't get into it. Um, but that cuts you off from some, you know, major masterpieces if you're not going to read any of it. Um, and, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, Moby Dick um, is uh, um, largely set behind Ishmael. We have uh, Dracula as written. That's epistolary novel. Frankenstein, uh, similarly. Frankenstein as well. Oh, and what's couched. interesting is it's not, that's clearly not a casual decision. There's a strategy behind, you know, why they chose that method. It wasn't like that was just, what they went for, or maybe they just randomly decided, but they certainly crafted the narrative around the strengths of that perspective. One of the things that is kind of fun about Dracula, I went through that last year in my, one of my classes, and the, uh, the first three or four chapters, it's the, the main character. And when he's writing in the past tense, you know that, uh, and he's talking about this scary castle and this weird guy and but because he's writing these letters in the past tense, you know, there's a, a very significant uh, fact that we can, we know he's going to survive, right? So the author sets this up where we know that's not going to be the story. Is he going to die? We know that's not part of it because as we're getting this, he's writing it. Well, then I think it's three or four chapters in, we switch to a different letter. So someone else picks up the story. And we realize, oh, that doesn't apply anymore. So this guy who yep. we are reading about and, and who has the first three or four chapters uh, is not going to be the sole storyteller. Well, if we're attentive to the shape of the story, now, again, just paying attention to details and the who, what, when, where, that's important. But if we're not paying attention to the shape of the narrative, 
we miss out on that that uh, wow moment. Like, oh no, our main character is in fact this is a life threatening situation. And I just don't see a lot of that sort of strategy in a lot of modern first person writing. Well, and even in that moment you mentioned, like well, there was that moment when you picked up the shift, and then real like, what does this mean for where we're at in the novel? Probably not something you can get out of the cliff notes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's not even going to be mentioned. One of the, uh, I think one of the all-time quotes on this podcast came from E. Michael Jones about Dracula, who said, if you're not talking syphilis, you're not even in the game. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) As it it pertained to what is Dracula about. But, so I appreciate you bringing Dracula back. (laughs) That's Um, right. What do you, in terms of, uh, so on this side of things, like the canon side, publishing side, uh, like I mentioned, YA seems to be like really surging and it's primarily first person. One thing that I really enjoy about Middle Grade, which you've written in, is that it's, it rarely, if ever, gets into first person. It's almost always going to be in the third. Why, why have you, or has, has that narr- narration strategy ever informed why you enjoy writing in in the middle grade? Uh, you know, I haven't honestly noticed that middle grade is more third person. I tend to read older uh, uh, books, and middle grade is more of a newer category. So maybe I haven't explored enough in that. I, I think you know my default setting. I it was third person simply because the strategies of writing from a uh, a kid's view of the world. I, I just I wanted to avoid the pretentious child, uh, and frequently, the uh, the the voice of those first person children's books are are just way too yeah. informed about things, and or they're not, and it's kind of insulting to the reader, uh, and it's just hard to balance. Like, how do you make a child who is you know again children are not. I don't want to insult children. I think children are amazing, but you know, let they, them have it. They right. don't have. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're not here to defend <laughs> yeah. themselves. So, you know, yeah. but they have a limited view of knowledge, or they have a limited knowledge, um, and that's you know part of their glory is how they're able to expand in that. And but it's it's hard when you're when it also makes for a great you know protagonist. Like what yeah. you're talking about, like given when they're that, yeah. given that limited knowledge, right? When they're when they're really pushing up against that. And uh, and working to grow, but when a when the writer wants to convey, you know, their their shallowness or their their lack of knowledge, it's hard to do that without making a mockery or talking down to the adult readers or to the to the other readers. Uh, I don't know. It's just a. Or as you said, the other side is the pretentious child. Yeah, right. Infinitely too informed. Right. So it's hard to just balance those things out and. I guess I haven't, you know, to me, I just start writing a story, start exploring the story. And as I um, figure out the character, the shape of it isn't, I'm informed. I I didn't set off thinking I'm going to write first person or third person or I more tried to explore the story, what type of story I was going for. And and then as things kind of fell into place, you know, it just so happened. I guess that sounds makes it sound more mysterious than it probably really was, but um, <laughs> I just didn't make a conscious decision. Sure. I'm not going to write first person. It just didn't fit. Yep. Now uh, we mentioned earlier the short story. Do you enjoy a short story in your spare time? I do. I do love a short story. I find, in a lot of ways, 
short stories are more difficult to write. It's certainly a satisfying short story or a mystifying short story, uh, fruitfully mystifying. Yeah. Um, and, and same, my dad is a pastor and, you know, he's always said it's easier to preach for 50 minutes than 30, right? You want to preach for 30 minutes. You really have to be concise. And, but that extra 20 minutes gives you a little bit more wandering around yeah. room. And this, you know, short stories are the same in which you have to convey the character and the setting and all of the components really rapidly. And some of it is going to have to be inferred by the reader. And so you have to make yep. enough, give them enough to build that full world. I, that's just a really fun challenge. And I enjoy seeing people do it well. It's uh, so it, it seems tougher on the, on the creator, on the author, but it also, which also means there's a, there's a sense in which it's a, more of an uphill track for the reader. Do you remember when you first read a short story? Do you remember who it was? I, I don't remember first, but I, yeah, I've, I've read Flannery and Poe. Uh, you know, nice. I mean, I remember reading those as a young teen. And yeah, I, I, oh, Henry. I mean, uh, yeah, so I've, I've partly it's uh, short stories are also easy to teach from okay. uh, in the sense of nice. here's something we can read in class and nice. uh, cover. I was homeschooled, but. That was still part of the curriculum. Do you utilize short stories with your teaching? I do. I, um, I mean, I do a lot of reading in class as well. So we'll go through novels, but those, those shorter works are certainly, yeah. I'm able to uh, focus in on a particular type of character or writing or you know, some, some uh, question that we're looking at uh, more readily with the short story. What... Uh... Do you have a hard time, we mentioned earlier, sort of novels, short stories, poetry, with your students, which, what are the, what grades are you teaching? I'm uh, from seventh to seniors. Okay. Is there, what ages sort of attract which genres? Well, nobody likes poetry because yeah. nobody reads it and we don't see people <laughs> reading it and, yeah. and talking about it. It's just right. not part of the, so that one's always a little weird. Again, I, I do uh, the languages, so uh, okay. Greek and Latin. And I, I frequently will, well, I begin the, the, uh, my lectures on the glories of language there. And so I'm frequently pulling out just wonderfully wrought sentences. And, yep. and uh, you know, I mean, the, the fun thing about uh, Latin is uh, there's kind of a narrative component to Latin in that the verb frequently is toward the end of the sentence. So there's always, or often, not always, but often there's a surprise at the end. Because if I say, George, in the woods, he kicked, or Billy, and then the verb is at the end, he kicked. Why would he kick Billy in the woods? All my examples are always violent. But, <laughs> um, but to have that verb right at the end, yeah. leave, some, leave some mystery. What, what's happening in the the, the woods, you know, George is clearly doing the action. Billy is receiving the action. What's the action? You know, he kicked, he hugs. The, having the, the verb at the end, just there's that anticipation. And that's the fun of, of a, a good sentence is yep. there's going to be a twist or surprise along with all the other information. And then you just expand in terms of uh, the genre. So if it's a poem, there's surprises coming novel you have more space to get to those sort of things yeah. but so all my classes are built around that uh, you know knowing how to read enjoying that 
meaning, finding meaning. So part of the joy of podcasts is like listening to people who are sharing enjoys, you know. So for me, it's like a mm. lot of people telling me a ton about a book mm. that they've written or something they've been thinking about for a long time. And the goal is that we have such a conversation that it translates to the listeners and then they, you know, the hope is they would go enjoy that person's work on their own, et cetera. And I've always thought like, what is, is there like a silver bullet of sharing poetry in such a way that people are like, I get it. I want it. I've not found it. It doesn't sound like though you are teaching students that have to be in your class for a set amount of time that you haven't found it either. Is that, would that be the case? Oh yeah. I don't think <laughs> silver bullet. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Sorry. Do you, do you know how it, it happened for you personally though? In terms of why I like poetry or? Yeah. Is there, what do you, yeah. were there habits that you made or? Well, I, I mean, I, obviously I think everything just is. Weird? Yeah. Are we both well, just weird? That's, that's certainly true. <laughs> I mean, partly, I mean, I think the, the, uh, the most basic connection is, uh, attending to the word of God, the, the depth of, of language and symbols. Uh, and as I was taught about it and just that focus in on yep. words and verses and, and how those things fit together, I, I, obviously that was a major part of it, beauty of the Psalms and how uh, wisdom is conveyed in Proverbs. In terms of uh, poetry, secular poetry, beyond non-sacred poetry, it was, uh, I was at a lecture where uh, one of the speakers mentioned the poet E. E. Cummings. Okay. And I, there was a kind of a puzzle uh, component to it. There was a visual, uh, E. E. Cummings wrote in a visual manner uh, for some of his works, similar to uh, George Herbert and Easter okay. Wings. And, um, and, I, and so I thought, oh, I didn't realize you could, you could do that. That was, that was new to me. So I, I dove into that and from there leapt to guys like Herbert and Robert Frost and uh and just delighting in and the sounds of it uh that was that was the what triggered it uh, Do you how old you were i mean a lecture yes uh you know 16 okay 15 16 somewhere in there uh, so that's when i started reading not just being assigned which i'm sure i was assigned stuff sure but i don't have any recollection of that but that's when i started reading on my own and tracking down other books and yeah so it's just a matter of you know liking what god likes and he likes poetry and so therefore yeah i mean i think you know we're we're called to be attentive to words and uh there's no better field than poetry to be attentive to words and again all i think all reading is to help us read the word of god so that's we're all called to improve our ability to to read to listen to hear to perceive and it's not a purely a scholarly thing uh it's it's a a matter of beauty to enjoy and delight in it poetry is very helpful in practicing those those skills now in terms of uh sort of setting up habits and the rest i'm very curious so as a as an author and i know someone who sets up times to just sit and write those kind of habits i'm very curious on the other side of that what are your reading habits? Do you, do you have habits by genre or, or? Yeah, I try to have my chair at home. My reading chair uh, is just surrounded by books. I try to keep a, 
a, a stack there. Good stack. Uh, that's right. And and there's there's a abandoned one there that I don't quite want to give up on, but are probably not going to be picked up. Books that I put on the runway. So I sometimes arrange my shelf ordering, like I want to read this and then I want to read this. So if I'm committing to locking in one, I'll put it in the stack. So it's on the runway, just hasn't been given clearance to fly. And, and it's an assortment, um, you know, scripture commentaries, nonfiction, several novels are going, and then a stack of books that I'm, uh, of poetry that I'm working through. Sometimes it's a a thicker collection. And then I like to throw a few thinner volumes there. Uh, I've also been trying to reread a lot more. I, I've abandoned the the idea that I can read lots and of new stuff. I want to return to the things that yeah. I love as well. What do you uh, find yourself returning to? Currently, I, I've returned to uh, Auden and Galway Kennel. I've been on the receiving end of some Auden poems. Yeah, from, that's right. That's Renan right. Wilkins. I yeah. I, uh, I I I sometimes text people <laughs> pictures of things that I'm reading so that they have to read them too. Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, Robert Frost, we've already talked about, is yep. one of my one of the guys that I co- come back to uh, every two or three years. And I and again, I'm trying to read more in in those favored poets. Yeah, I I do Dickinson a lot. I keep that one on my desk at at school just because she's so short. Yep. Um, I can put just write eight lines on a board as the students come into my classroom. They can they can see it, read it real fast maybe even spend five or six minutes. I don't always feel the need and I never feel the need to explain it, but sometimes I I'll talk about, Oh, I like this word and look at this, what she's doing here. Yep. Um, I, I don't feel the need to make it a, a full interaction though, sure. either. I okay. just want to expose them to it. <laughs> okay. So you said, you, you know, in the mix are things like scripture commentaries. So is that just because you enjoy the Bible? i love these easy questions uh yes i assume a lot of people might have heard that and thought maybe he's an elder maybe somebody i'm not who's in the uh you're just you enjoy those kinds of things yeah i i want to know what's going on and hear other people's thoughts and i don't read a ton of scripture commentaries that shouldn't have come out first (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe gets people thinking I'm someone I'm not, but yeah, I, I, we I uh, I'll have that in the. I'm not a huge fan of of a certain type of nonfiction. Okay, um, where it's uh, explainy how to simplify the world, or okay. here's this and ten easy points. I those those sorts of popular nonfiction. Uh, I, I might spend an hour with getting okay. the whole thing. Those uh how to think or those sort of books. I just, yeah. those are so consumable. I'm curious. Cause like, <laughs> as we were, we were saying earlier, fiction is not the sort that can be brought to several points or the cliff noted. It almost sounds like you have a similar kind of problem with a certain kind of nonfiction book. You're right. Yeah. Where, where it is just the content. And uh, frequently there's that pattern where they open up every chapter with a nice little story, which I just skip. Because <laughs> right. that's not, you know, and then they say, yeah. this is the, the point of the, the, the chapter, and then they explain it. And then there's usually a few more cute little stories that they tie it together. So I just, I try and read those books. If I'm going to read them, I'm, I read them as fast as I can. 
So okay. I'm not a speed reader. I, I like to read slowly if it's good. One of the markers of a good book is that it's beautifully written. So there are a few nonfiction books. And again, I, I have to file my complaint. I don't approve of those terms, nonfiction and fiction. <laughs> um, but okay. I, uh, if, it's, if it's not written for the ear, um, then it's not that great. And almost certainly just need to be combed through it with, for the, uh, the points and then move on. That's, yeah, that's really good. We, uh, so you're sitting in the, in the box. Yes. Um, Canon in the last several years has really like pushed for more and more of our stuff to get into audio early on in the push. There was a lot of us in the office that were reading the books. And I remember picking up certain authors and just being like, man, it's not super easy to read <laughs> or, you know, and you just thought, and I always thought to myself, like it just needed one more edit to the ear and that's it. And yeah. then you pick up other authors and you're not exhausted. You know, you don't feel those ways at all. You're not exhausted at the end of a line or you're not, it, it was just very nice. And you're like, okay, yep. This author, they, this author went that extra step. And, and, you know, audio book is different. You know, I'm not, I'm not gritting my teeth listening to you, uh, waiting for you to get to the point. Sure. So speech is different. So uh, yeah, audio books, that's a, that's a different matter in terms of I'm not going to zip through an audio book just to get the points. Sure. Um, yeah, just I can read faster than I can listen. So if I'm going to yep. read, that's where I, my frustration comes for these nonfiction books. But if I'm listening to it and I have loads of friends that have uh, a greater commute to work than I do, and, that, and I, I envy them for that time to be able to just yep. put something on and listen to it, but I, I don't have a large commute. So I don't listen to audiobooks all that that often, but that's yeah, that's a different matter when it's coming to you audibly. Yeah. Now with uh, your final edits, do you edit to the ear? I do. I I, I read it to my kids, and yeah, then I, I yeah. and then they get upset at me because I'm pausing in the middle of a sentence to make some scratch marks on the yeah. page, and then they yell at me, and I feel bad. So I I don't feel that it's always finished, but I have, I've put in my, my word for strays. He's, Brian said he's going to let me clean up some of the redundancies and shoddy writing okay. uh, for, the, for the paperback version. Nice. Okay. Nice. Now, so you do have strays, which we have that. That is on the Canon app. In audio, it's also on Audible in audio. Yes. We also just sat and signed a lot of hard hardcover books. That's so right. if you buy strays from Canon Press, you can get those uh signed and you may even find some variations, you know, so it's a, every every signature was maybe snowflakeish. <laughs> a few of them. Yeah, I, I usually have this this uh wild darting autograph and a few of them got a little soft toward the end. <laughs> there was a lot. I mean, I think it was <laughs> I think you signed about 80. So, yeah. Limited supplies. We, uh, I, we talked about this. I give Christine a hard time because she has a very long, she has a signature and then she has a long little postscript for, for the book itself. You went with Rebuke the Devil. Rebuke the Devil. Or occasionally I put in Mock the Devil. Mock the Devil. Yeah, those were two that I began personalizing when people asked me to, to sign it. I would add that or a uh, Swing Away. Which is a reference to <laughs> Signs like by uh, okay. M. Night Shyamalan, okay. if you've ever seen that. Yep. 
he's he's told to swing away and destroy the demons slash aliens. So occasionally I throw a swing away in there, but I, like I did that. not for the canon press books. Those okay. are those are all more focused on the devil. There you go. All right, Remy, thanks so much for coming. Hey, man. this is always fun. I really appreciate it. And and we got the jump on that other podcast that you'll be on. That's so right. This will be out tomorrow. <laughs> thanks. Right. Oh yeah. Thanks Good. for coming in, man. Yes, sir.